Okay. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are for a very special edition of the DNA of Creation. We're going to talk today about this week's Parsha, which is an amazing Parsha. Parsha's Re'e, which means see. We'll talk a lot about sight in a few minutes. And um, in addition to the Parsha, we're also going to talk about Rosh Chodesh Elul, because on this Shabbos, we bless the new month, the month of Elul, which is a very important month in the Jewish calendar. It's actually the last month of the year before Rosh Hashanah. And it's a month of preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the days of awe, not the awful days, the days of awe. And uh, it's a time of incredible divine favor, according to the uh, the commentaries on the Torah and Jewish law. This is a time of what's called rutzon, which is will. We're in good favor with God. And it's a time of connecting to willpower, as we'll talk about, and learning to redefine yourself. It's a time where Jews, Sephardic Jews, uh, Julia and I believe Rebecca, um, start waking up early in the morning for the entire month of El to say special prayers uh, to try to get themselves in the mood for Rosh Hashanah, prayers of repentance. And it's called Slichos, Slichot. It's uh, prayers asking for forgiveness. And Ashkenazi Jews um, get up uh, early, only starting uh, about a week before Rosh Hashanah. So uh, it's better to be Ashkenazi this time of year, but Sephardim get us back on Passover time when they get to eat rice. So um, also the Sephardi ones are pretty short and the Ashkenazi ones are pretty, pretty long. Okay, so now um, what, what else do we have to say about Elul? Elul is the, the, um, the commentaries point out is the Roshay Tevos, the first letters of Elul spells out an acronym, Ani, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, which spells out, is the acronym for the phrase from Shira Shirim, from Song of Songs by King Solomon, Ani, Ladodi, Vadodi, Li. This is for you, Steph. This is a good marriage one. I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. And that that's the idea of Elul, is it's a time of coming closer to Hashem, who is our beloved, our bride or our groom, depending on the metaphor. And uh, we are typically the Jewish people's bride. And we are getting married to Hashem in, uh, coming up, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. So we're going to try to tie that in a little bit. So let's just go through a few themes in the Parsha. Okay, and then we'll discuss the beginning of the Parsha as an opening to try to understand a little bit deeper idea about this time period. So the Parsha goes through more than any Parsha in the Torah and talks about the city that God will choose to rest his presence there. Does anyone know what city that's talking about? Anyone? Yes, Jerusalem. Don't second guess. You are correct, Jerusalem. So, um, one second, we're about to have a special guest join us. Hi, welcome. My father and my stepmother are joining us today. Welcome, welcome. Okay, we're being recorded, so we'll stop for questions at the end, unless it's a really good one. But I reserve the right not to respond. Father, sit down. <laughs> All right. So, um, 
So here we go. The question is, why doesn't the Torah mention Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the holy city, right? It is the holiest place in Judaism. It is not mentioned by name, not even once in the Torah. It is mentioned by reference, the place that God will rest, choose to rest his presence there. And it's mentioned over and over again in this week's Parsha, but it doesn't say it by name. And the question is why, right? We know that Jerusalem is mentioned hundreds of times throughout the Bible, throughout the Tanakh, but not once in the Torah is it mentioned by name. Jerusalem, which is the holiest city in Judaism. In Islam, which is the third holiest city in Islam, it is mentioned by name. But in the Torah, it is not mentioned by name. Although it is actually, but uh, as we'll, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see soon. But uh, not very often is it mentioned by name. And not in this week's partial where it talks about the special mitzvahs that we do in Jerusalem. That three times a year, we have a mitzvah to go to Jerusalem on the holidays. All the entire Jewish people to bring certain, uh, certain sacrifices in the temple to um, to do certain um, certain foods that are only eaten in Jerusalem, um, the first of certain crops, the first of certain animals. There's a lot of things that have to do with Jerusalem, but again, it's not mentioned by name. The question is, why not? Okay, we also have um, a lot, a lot, a lot of prohibitions against idolatry in this week's parsha again, which is a, a classic one, um, and Let's let's try to let's try to understand the significance of Jerusalem and what's the meaning of Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean in Hebrew? Yerushalayim. What does it mean? What is it all about? Okay, so let's go to the beginning of the parsha, and it says as follows: Re'ei si anochi I nosin lefnechem hayom bracha uklal. I place before you a blessing and a curse. As habracha, the blessing, asher tishmu that you will listen, or when you will listen, to the mitzvahs that Hashem commands you today. Vahaklala and the curse, im if you don't listen to the blessing, to the mitzvahs of the Torah. And there's no real specification of what the blessing is or what the curse is. Now, if I were to ask you to think a little deeper, and look at it. If you were to look at it inside, there's also some inconsistencies with the language. It says, see, I place before you. What's weird about that? See, I place before you today, blessing and curse. S-E-E, -E, not Spanish. <laughs> In Hebrew, it's re'e. It means to see with your eyes, S-E-E. -E. What's significant about that, that word? What's strange about that word? No, but Shem's talking to us, or Moshe's talking to us. Well, well it, could, it is a verb. It actually is a verb. Um, it is a verb. It means you could say look, perhaps. You could translate it as look. Um, that's good, though. But but think think a little bit deeper, right? Like what seeing is surface level. That's a good point. Seeing could be surface level. Why see? Anyone familiar with other places in the Torah 
where where Moshe talks to us and says something and wants us to pay attention? Do you know what it says? Famous one, really famous one. Yeah. That's S E A, right? No play on words here. S E S E E. <laughs> right? Okay, it actually, I think it does say see the wonders of Hashem there. It could be that it does. I don't have it in front of me to look. But, um, but think about the most famous Jewish prayer. Here, Shema Yisrael. Here, O Israel. If I want you to pay attention, how do I, what do I tell you? If I want you to pay attention, listen. Listen. Don't see. And furthermore, what am I seeing? See the blessing and the curse that I placed before you today. How could you see it? We're talking about a concept, right? Hearing is means internalizing and understanding, right? I want. I don't know if you ever are familiar with the movie White Men Can't Jump, but there's a great conversation there between when I was a kid, uh, talking about in the '90s. There's a conversation between between Buddy Harrelson, is that his name, and Spike Lee, I think. Not Spike Lee. Not Spike Lee. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, anyway. The two the two actors and and the black guy says to him, white people, they can listen to music, but they can't hear music. <laughs> That's racist, isn't it? Dad, do you agree? Is that racist? But the idea is that you can listen to something. We all can listen, but can you hear? Can you hear me? Do you get me? That means really pay attention and let it be absorbed. But see. Sounds like a. It sounds perhaps surface. See the external, and and b. You what are you looking at here? There's nothing to see. We're talking about blessings and curses. These are concepts that we're speaking metaphorically. Okay. Another question is, it starts out, see, the blessings and the curse. How do you get them? If you listen. So there's a combination here of both things. See the blessings and the curse. How do you get them? If you listen to the mitzvahs, then you get the blessing. If you don't listen, then you get the curse. So again, we have an interesting cor correlation here between seeing and hearing. Okay? And we'll try to explain the differences shortly. Furthermore, there's another slight issue. It says, behold, I place before you the blessing and the curse. The blessing Asher, the word in Hebrew is asher, which means that. Okay, The blessings that you listen to Hashem or when you listen to Hashem. And the curse, if, im, it's a different word. It's not parallel. It should say the blessing if you listen and the curse if you don't listen. Or it should say the blessing that you listen or the curse that you don't listen. But it says the blessing that you listen and the curse if you don't listen. Now, there's another problem. I want you to guys think very hard. See, I place before you today the blessing and the curse. The blessing if you listen to Hashem and the curse if you don't listen. There's something missing from this conversation. 
Anyone? Well, okay, very close to what I was thinking. What the mitzvahs are, it says the mitzvahs that Hashem commanded you, like in the whole in the book, all the pages before now and the pages that that are gonna come. But along those lines, I think there is something missing. Something very important that it's not telling us what it is. Okay, well, let's assume, you're right, it's a good point. The mitzvahs, I mean, some of them are written out clearly, some of them are not, right? We don't we don't have clarity on how to do all the mitzvahs just with the written Torah. So there is an oral tradition to explain how to do the mitzvahs. But but think think just one more one more step further, Steph. Okay, you're gonna get what if you do the mitzvahs, and if you don't, okay. Anyone want to know anything? What's the blessing and what's the curse? Doesn't say. I don't know. What's that mean? What is blessing? What is curse? What does that look like? It's telling me to look to see see, and it doesn't even tell me what I'm seeing. I don't know what these things are. Okay. So these are all, <laughs> we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble if we don't know these things. The good news is that there's many, many pages written to explain all these questions. Okay. And another question is, it says, the blessing and the curse that I placed before you. When? Today. Today. What? What day? How? Where? When? Okay, and finally, one more issue that bothered me. I don't know if this is really an issue, but it, I think it, it's bothered me in the past. Tell me if this is a question for you, okay? We're told if we do the mitzvahs, we get blessing. If we don't do the mitzvahs, we get curse. Is that the way currencies work, right? If I tell my kids, clean your room and you're going to get a reward. Don't clean your room, you're going to get punished. Is that, it sounds very black and white. Shouldn't there be a third option? Right. If you do nothing, you get nothing. I, I, normally, if you say, if you clean your room, you get, a, you get a reward. That means if you don't clean your room, you get nothing. Right. But it seems like it's very black and white. It's either do it, get blessing, don't do it, get cursed. It sounds like I feel like there should be some gray area there. Okay, so all right now, and and the last question that I have is, a c, I place before you today a blessing and a curse. What's the I doing there? Anochi. I don't know if that's Moses speaking or God speaking, but it's extra. It could just say, behold. Today, there is being placed before you a blessing and a curse. What's the I? Who's the I talking about? So, okay, that's an excellent point. It could be it could be that there's some that there's some more it's more effective to say i but but one of the rules that we have in the torah is that a word is never extra it always has to serve a purpose 
beyond, I mean, it could be that it is necessary for the context, but if it's not necessary for the context, for the just simple message, so then there has to be serving a deeper purpose. Uh, usually I would say, maybe sometimes it is what you're saying and that could be an answer. But I think usually there's like a hidden meaning if there's a word that's totally unnecessary. So um, I'm gonna start with a story that happened to us this week's Parsha many years ago, which is just a great story. And I try to, I feel like it fits in very much to the Parsha. So um, it was a, uh, we used to live in Albany before we moved to, to Baltimore. And we lived um, kind of in the middle of nowhere um, we were off of a main road, but it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty much the the suburbs type situation, but a little bit rustic. We lived in this big old house, and one night we were brushing our teeth in the upstairs bathroom. You might you guys might remember this story when suddenly we see something buzz past our face, and we realized that it was a bat, and the bat zipped past us and went down the stairs and we quickly closed the doors to the upstairs and we tried to find it we could not find it anywhere we were freaking out we closed all the doors we uh, called a bat guy to come the next day and he he i don't oh um he found it the next day right we looked everywhere for it and the next day he found it in the curtains of the there were these big curtains in the dining room covering the this big window to a porch and he found it hidden in the curtain and he took the bat out okay and then we all right we're like okay we had a bat no big deal a few weeks later we were sitting in the in the living room and suddenly i'm like something flew past my line of vision i'm like what's that a bird wait a minute bird in the house no that must be a bat and again there was a bat flying around the living room and it was it was crazy and we uh we closed off the doors and attempted to trap it in that dining room again. And we thought we'd be able to find it. We went in there, couldn't find it anywhere. We checked the curtains, no bat. We're like, gosh, this is really creepy. And we called a bat guy and he didn't find it this time. Didn't find the bat. He said, maybe it went downstairs to the basement or he said, I'm sure it flew out by now. He said, it's not, you know, they, they can't survive that long in a house. So it probably got out. So then we had, I believe, three spottings of the bat. And this last time it disappeared in the in the dining room. And there was nothing we could really do about it. So we had we went into Shabbos. The guy came that morning, Friday morning. He said, it must have gotten out. Don't worry about it. And that night was Friday night. And I... Uh, you know, we go in to make Kiddush, and we were all a little shooken up by the bat, but it was it was over by now. Shabbos, it's a day of peace and relaxation, and we we uh, I went to make Kiddush Friday night, and there's a custom before making Kiddush to look at the candles. So I turn and I look at the candles, and as I'm looking at my at the candles, my eye follows up the wall above the candles. To the very top of the ceiling, right below the ceiling, there's this little ledge where there's like a sensor for like an old alarm system that had been in the house. And right on top of the sensor, I see a little fuzzy ball. I had found the bat. <laughs> so we're like, all right, kids, out of the room. Kids go out of the room. <laughs> we close the doors. I put on 
full all gear, uh, a funny hat and a coat, and I get a broom and I start knocking the bat down. And he starts hissing at me. It was very scary. He flies to the ground, and then I swept him out the door and out the porch. And uh, and it was a great joy. I felt like I just had conquered a lion. I felt so brave and strong because this bat was very scary. And even though he's very small, it was quite scary. And then we enjoyed the rest of Shabbos. But what was so interesting about that story is that the we had been very, first of all, I'll just share with you a funny line that it says in the Torah. It says on the, uh, in the creation of, the, of Shabbos, the first Shabbos, it says, um, it says, there's an interesting discussion about what actually was created on Shabbos. Was, Shabbos. was there a special creation on Shabbos? And Rashi says that actually something did was created on Shabbos, and that was the concept of rest. Something called rest or manucha, which means returning to self, it was created on Shabbos. And the word that Rashi uses is, Rashi says, bas Shabbos, bas manucha. Shabbos comes and rest comes to the world. But if you read that with a Sephardi pronunciation, it says bat, Shabbat, bat manucha. So when the bat comes on Shabbos, then the bat brings rest so why am i telling you this story that's a cute story we didn't kill it we swept it out it survived is it allowed it's allowed because it could be dangerous yes a bat could could bring different um different diseases if it bites a person so why am i telling you this story because it was it was an amazing experience that we had been searching all over the house for this bat and we eventually, when we brought back the bat guy, he discovered that our attic was full of them. That was quite interesting. And they had to seal off the attic and everything. But we'd been searching all over for this bat. We looked over the entire house, did not find it. And Shabbos came. And in that moment of clarity, when I look at the candles of Shabbos, the candles would represent bringing light into your home. I was having a moment of contemplation from a very busy day of looking for this bat. And suddenly everything became clear. That's one of the ideas of Shabbos, is that when we turn off our phone and we light the candles and we stop everything, suddenly you get so much clarity. On During the week, we're so busy and we're so enwrapped in so many complicated things going on in our lives. And we can get very confused and very distracted. Sometimes we need to stop the noise. If you're ever trying to look for something, Right? or you're trying to remember something, sometimes you have to stop looking in order to find it. You have to stop thinking in order to figure out the solution. And in fact, many uh, mathematicians have expressed or, or creative people have expressed that it's actually when you stop trying to solve a problem that the solution drops in. So a friend of mine who has a seminar on um, consciousness, elevated consciousness, according to Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, and Hasidic uh, works. He has a whole seminar on how to access elevated parts of your brain. So he said there really is a formula to genius. There's a formula to creativity, which he says is akin to prophecy. 
prophecy was a state of silencing the mind and the body in order to download information from the cloud. Literally opening up your brain to re receiving insights. So the creative process or the genius brain also does that. Right? If anyone's ever had a creative experience in life, you've experienced the feeling of not having done it. I know myself, and you can ask my father and stepmother about as musicians. You can ask uh, artists. I've, this has happened to me when I've written certain things, um, a, a screenplay that I wrote, art that I've done, is that sometimes when I'm preparing a class, is that you do a lot of work, and then you stop working. And the genius comes out when you're not there. It's like you're being played. As a musician, it's not you playing. The music is playing you. And um, that's a prophetic experience. So my friend says that we know, although science can't explain it yet, Judaism does know the recipe for how to receive creative insight and prophecy. And the answer is very simple. It's not thinking. It's not thinking that gives you creative insight. It's not thinking. How did Einstein come up with E equals MC squared? Not by thinking. It was by downloading, by stopping his thoughts. He was able to download. But if that were the case, then how come you and I aren't coming up with E equals MC squared? So the, the, the answer is, is that creative genius is not the process of just simply not thinking. It's the process of thinking really hard about something, becoming a master at it, learning everything about it, and then stopping to think. And then the insight comes down. So he says that in the future, he believes that, that science is going to catch up to, to uh, what Kabbalah teaches us about human consciousness and will actually be able to show people how to have genius experiences, how to have creative insight. And that's really the process of receiving a minor degree of prophecy is that you step out of the way and the insight drops in. And in fact, the word for an idea in Yiddish is an einfall. An einfall means it falls in. That's an idea. You move all the distractions out of your mind and the idea drops in. I don't know. I don't know if uh, Einstein and the apple story is a true story. I mean, uh, Newton, sorry, but but um, it's the same idea. Is that the greatest insights come to us when we're least expecting them? We have to do we have to do a lot of work beforehand, but then we prepare our mind to become a vessel to receive a higher insight, which drops in from a, from above, from a spiritual place. Yes. Uh, difference between prophecy and um, psychics, right? Psychics is not necessarily prophets, right? The prophecy is a person who learns how to silence their mind and receive insights from a higher place. They have to refine their body as well. They have to refine their character. But uh, psychics could be just sensitive people who are able to tap into different energies when they're already in this world. Prophecy is receiving something from outside this world. So uh, maybe we'll discuss further if, if possible in the future. So this week's Parsha begins with C. 
And according to um, according to Jewish mysticism, there's a very big difference between seeing and hearing. What's the difference between seeing and hearing? Where does seeing take place? In the eyes. And what else is necessary ingredient for sight? For the eyes. What's, what's necessary for you to see stuff? Eyes alone will not let you see stuff. You need something else to be present. Brain. Okay, good. Brain perceives. is really the eyes of the receptors that then give some information to the brain. But if you're in a room, without one thing, you will not be able to see. Something necessary. Oxygen not necessary for sight. Light! Without light, you cannot see. Sight requires light. Now, what about sound? What does sound require? Requires, you don't need light to hear, but you do need something else. Something very important. Sound exists in a different dimension than sight. Okay? Vibrations are sound, right? Your ear's picking up on vibrations. But there's something very important. Dad, think about this. What's essential for something, for you to be able to hear something? Okay? You need, for sight, you need the dimension of light. You need the ingredient of light. Sight takes place in the world of length and width and depth. But in order to perceive those things, you need light. But sound doesn't need length, width, and depth. Sound is made up of highs, lows, rhythms, different ingredients and different notes and different textures of sound, but there's something essential for sound to take place. If I show you a picture, waves, waves are the sound waves, but those waves need something. Let's think about it as follows, okay? If I show you a picture, how what does a picture tell? N not necessarily. I don't know if you need imagination to hear. Um, a picture tells what? Story. A thousand words, right? A story. A picture tells a thousand words. A picture can paint a thousand words. A picture can tell so many things. How fast does it take for a picture to tell a story? A picture can tell a thousand words in a single second. How long does it take for sound to tell a story? Bingo! Sound only exists within the dimension of time. You cannot perceive something with your ears without the ingredient of time. Because ears can only process information over time right in a split second your ears can't read anything your eyes can read in a split second but ears cannot sound travels at the speed of light light travels at the speed of light light is instantaneous it's the fastest thing in our universe and it's no coincidence that light nothing can travel faster than light nothing because light is the building blocks of matter everything is made up of different light particles but sound is something much more physical sound takes place 
in the darkness. You don't need light to hear, but you need time. Sound is a process. It's something unfolding. Okay, so light, sight, has an advantage over hearing, that it's instantaneous. You see the big picture with absolute clarity. Sound has an advantage over light, that sound takes place in the darkness. It takes time, though. But through that time, the idea is internalized. So sound is much more internal. It's much more takes place over a, a certain amount of time, and it takes place in the darkness. Sight is external, but it's instantaneous. Big picture clarity. So at Mount Sinai, there's a very interesting phenomenon that the Talmud discusses, that the, the Torah describes, that the Jewish people of Mount Sinai saw sounds. They saw sounds. And there's actually a uh, psychological phenomenon where people see sounds. They, they, sorry, they see sounds. Yeah, different sounds and different words have different colors in their mind. It's very interesting. But what's the idea of seeing sounds is that at Mount Sinai, we had absolute clarity of the process and the big picture all in a split second. We internalized the big picture in a split second. That's the idea of seeing sounds. So the way I like to explain the difference between seeing and hearing is that if you can imagine that you were lost in the woods on a stormy night and it's pitch black and you can't see anything in front of you and there's trees and cliffs and rocks and it's very dangerous. So what do you do? You wait in the darkness, in the rain, until there's a crash of lightning. And in that split second, the entire horizon is lit up. And you have perfect clarity of everything in front of you. You see where the trees are. You see where the rocks are. You see where the cliffs are. In, in a second later, the light is taken away. You're left in the darkness. But you're able to map out in that moment the next 10 feet in front of you. So in the darkness, you journey. In the darkness, you move. The darkness is about the process. That's hearing. That's internalizing the message that you received in the flash of lightning. So in life, we have moments of clarity and moments of darkness. There are moments when you get the big picture where you have insight and inspiration, you have everything clear about what you want to accomplish in life and where you want to go. But those moments are few and far between. And oftentimes, after those moments of inspiration and clarity, we're left in the darkness. We lose the inspiration. Why does that happen? Because that's an opportunity to internalize. As I said before, there's moments of inspiration followed by moments of integration. And that's when you have to do the work. That's when you have to walk through the darkness to begin to accomplish on your own the vision that you had when things were clear. So our job in this world is where does the main work take place? In the light or in the darkness? The darkness. The darkness is really what this world is all about. In fact, this is called a world of darkness because this is a world where things are very much hidden, very much covered up. 
a world with good and, and evil, a world with a lot of suffering and a lot of lack of clarity. Our job is to get take those moments of clarity to get insight on what our values are and what our goals are, and then to continue to plug away and do the work in the times when we don't see things clearly. It says, it says in, um, in Psalms, it says one second in Psalms, it says that lahagid baboker chazdecha that I will speak about your your kindness in the morning, and your faith in the night. That the, the daytime is a time of kindness, a time of clarity, a time of truth. The nighttime, when we don't have that clarity, is a time of faith. It's a time where we trust, based on our experiences in the daytime, that we, we begin to navigate through the world. You hear what I'm saying? Father? Yes? Just a nod. Do you hear me? A little bit? <laughs> okay. So, so th this time period of the year, the time of Elul, is a time of getting clarity on our big picture will for the year. It's a time of reinventing ourselves. It's a time when people try to correct things in their life that need correction. They try to work on themselves. They try to take character traits or behaviors that they want to change. They take on good habits in the month of Elul. It's a time of introspection to get clarity on who we really want to be for this next year. Because Rosh Hashanah is a split second long. You need to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a day that we say is the day of judgment for your year. What is your spiritual growth going to look like in this year? What are your what is your lifestyle, your habits, your behaviors going to look like in this year? What types of blessings do you want to bring into your life in this year? That all has to do with what type of vessel you build to receive those blessings. It's through the light that we build the vessel to receive the light. And the reception of the light has everything to do with the hearing, which takes place after we lose the clarity of light. So in Kabbalah, all of life is about light and vessels, light and vessels. There's flashes of light. If you build a vessel, you can receive that light and hold on to it. If you don't build that vessel, the light will pass you by. There's a famous story told of the elders of Helm, the wise men of Helm. Did you ever hear the stories of the wise men of Helm? I grew up with these stories. The wise men of Helm were extremely stupid. It was a town in Eastern Europe where everyone was very stupid. And one time, the elders of Helm came up with an idea. They said, you know, it's so cold in the winter. It's so cold. If only we could hold on to some of the sunlight of the summer, then, then maybe, maybe we wouldn't be so cold in the winter. So says Gimple. Gimple was the, the wisest man of Helm. He said, I have an idea. You notice how the sun isn't just in the sky. The sun is also in the water. Because when you see in the, in the lake, you see the sun reflected in the lake. So he said, I have a great idea. Let's fill up barrels of water when the sun is reflected in the lake. We'll fill up barrels of water. The sun will be inside those barrels. And then we can open up those barrels in the winter and we'll have sunlight. 
will have warmth from those barrels of water. So the concept, great idea. They fill up the barrels with water in the height of the sun, in the midday, noonday sun. They fill up barrels and barrels of water. They bring it up to the uh, to the town, and they store it away for the winter. In the middle of the winter, they're freezing cold. And they say, it's time. And they go, and they take out the barrels. And they the whole town gathers around, and they open the first barrel, and suddenly there's silence. It's solid ice inside the barrel. And the townspeople are so upset, and they're so shocked. What happened to the sunlight? And says Gimple, the wise man, I know. The sun must be trapped inside the ice. So let's start chipping away at the ice. So all the men come together, and they start hammering away at the ice, hammering away, hammering away. And as they get deeper and deeper to the ice, they're sweating. They're sweating. They say, it's working. The sun is inside the ice. <laughs> so I don't remember why I told you that story. But <laughs> sometimes we have to catch the sunlight, the moments of inspiration. We have to catch it inside our barrels. And then we can open up those barrels in the winter and still gain inspiration from those moments. That's our job the month of Elul, to prepare ourselves for the holidays. So that the inspiration that automatically comes throughout a Rosh Hashanah and a Yom Kippur, if you do it right and you go to synagogue and you understand the words and you've prepared, you will be inspired. You'll get new insights into yourself, into who you really are and what your true desire is for the new year. But it only works if you've built the vessels, if you've done the work, because you can't hold on to light without some sort of receptacle to put it into. So... Uh, it says that Elul is called the time of will, divine favor. The word will is ratzon. Ratzon means willpower. Willpower. And why is it called times of will, times of desire? Because according to the Talmud, does anyone know when the world was created? There are two opinions actually in the Talmud. One opinion says the world was created in Nisan. The other opinion says the world was created in Tishrei, which is the month after El. What that really means is not actually Tishrei. According to, the, according to our understanding, it was the 25th day of El, the end of El, and man was created on Tishrei. So the question is, what was God doing right before creation? Reflecting, desiring to create the world. So the period before creation is a time of will, a time of connecting to creative desire desire to create and you can tap into the desire to recreate yourself so too just like l is a time of willpower to create so too is the time right before the end of shabbos the third meal shalashudas the meal right before shabbos ends is also according to kabbalah called a time of desire of willpower why because what day did god create the world god created the world on sunday yom rishon first day so what was he doing right before sunday he was desiring to create a world. So Sunday begins, Motzi Shabbos, after Shabbos. Jewish days begin at night. So just before nightfall is a time again where you can tap into that divine willpower to recreate yourself for the new week. So just like every Shabbos, we can recreate ourselves for the next seven days. Every Elo, we can recreate ourselves for the next 12 months. And the idea is this idea of rutzon, the word rutzon, which means willpower, is the same letters as the Hebrew word sinor, which means a pipeline. Because through your rutzon, through your desire, you create a channel, which gives you the power to accomplish those goals. It says in the Talmud, 
The way that a person wants, the word rotzon, the way that a person wants to go, they are guided. And there's another famous Jewish saying, which is a, a tr- not clear where this saying comes from, but it's a very ancient saying, which is, Nothing stands in the way of rotzon. If you want it, if you build it, they will come. If you want something bad enough, the desire itself creates a vessel. That's the idea of prayer, actually. Why do we have to pray for stuff? You ever wonder, why do we have to pray for stuff? If it's good for you, God should give it to you. If it's not good for you, so why should you ask for it? God knows what you want. So you have to work for it because through the prayer, through the desire, builds the vessel to appreciate that blessing. What? Kavana means means focusing, focusing on and meditating on the prayer on the words, focus. But it's it's the it's the desire that creates the vessel to bring the blessing into your life. Hold the thought. But you might not desire to pray, but you do desire good things in your life. So if you really want a car and then God wants you to prove that you want that car by creating space in your life for that car. You have to create the need because that need and that desire allows you to then appreciate that thing. It makes room for it in your life. And one of the great Hasidic masters says, what do you mean nothing stands in the way of your desire? There are plenty of things I want that I don't get. So says the Chedush Yerim, the Ger Rebbe says, no, no. You're reading it wrong. It doesn't mean nothing stands in the way of desire. It means nothing stands in the way of having a desire. One thing that is in our control is what we want. Nobody can stop you from really wanting something that's good for you. And and as it says in last week's Parsha, everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven. That means your desire to do the right thing, that is the only thing that's truly in your hands. You have no choice whether or not you become rich or poor, whether or not you get, get married or not, whether or not you have children or not, whether or not you're strong or weak, sick or healthy. None of that is really in your control. The one thing in your control is your attitude towards spirituality. That is 100% in your control. And nothing can stop you from wanting to do good, wanting to be good. So, so um, let's talk about prayer at the end. Let's talk about prayer at the end. I just want to tie it all together and uh, stop the recording because it's late. So in this week's Parsha, we talk all about Jerusalem, but never once is Jerusalem mentioned by name. What is mentioned is that you should seek it out. You should seek out Jerusalem. You should walk towards Jerusalem. It's a place that we have to desire, that we have to yearn for, that we have to look for. Three times a day we pray for the past 2,000 years facing Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place that is we only merit to go there by desiring it, by looking for it. What does Jerusalem mean? So 
in the Torah, I said it's not mentioned by name, but it actually is mentioned one time in uh, in Genesis. It says, Ir Shalem, the city of Shalem. Shalem, which means peace or completion. Jerusalem is the city of peace. But there's another word there, Yeru, Yeru Shalem, which comes from the word fear or vision. Because when Avraham, same word, Yira, Ro'eh, the word to see is related to the word of fear. When Abraham is looking for the mountain to bring his son Isaac as a sacrifice, it says, Hashem Yira'eh, God will show me the place. Jerusalem is really the city of sight or the city of fear. Fear of completion or sight of completion or shalom. It's a place where we will see with clarity. What's the connection between fear and vision and seeing? It's very simple. The idea of fearing something means realizing that it's real, having clarity. Right? Your parents tell you, don't put your hand on the stove. Stove is hot. You don't believe them. Then you put your hand on the stove. Now you believe them. Now you're afraid of the stove because it hurts. You realize that it's real. When you realize something's real, then you fear it. What does fear mean? It means respect. You, it's awareness. Awareness of the reality of the thing. Jer Jerusalem is a place where we experience the reality of shalom of completion, of peace. The word shalom does not just mean peace. It means completion, wholeness. Seeing is believing. Because when you really see something, you get the big picture clarity, then you know it. Then you fear it. So when we go to Jerusalem, on the three holidays of the year, we have to bring a special sacrifice called a carbon re'ia, a uh, a, a sacrifice, an animal to bring close of re'iyah, of seeing. There's a mitzvah to see the temple because it's that seeing that makes it real. It brings about the big picture clarity, awareness of reality, of consequences and respect of that thing. So let's go back to the beginning. See, I place before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen, that you listen to my commandments. The curse, if you don't listen. Never mentions what's the blessing or what's the curse. Very simple. Seeing takes place when you have clarity. See, Hayom, today. Get clarity today on the big picture so that in the future you will listen to the commandments. When you don't have that clarity. How do we bring blessing into our lives? It's through doing the mitzvahs when we don't have clarity. Because what is the blessing? It's not mentioned in the parsha. What is the blessing? The blessing is that you listen to the mitzvahs. The blessing is the relationship with Hashem that comes about through the mitzvahs. There's no other blessing. We're not doing mitzvahs to get a reward in the next world. We're doing mitzvahs to build a relationship with Hashem, to build a relationship with ourselves, to build a relationship with other people. Now, today, today is the time of doing the mitzvahs, as it says in the Talmud. Today we do the mitzvahs. In the future, we are able to enjoy that relationship 
when we're back in a world of clarity. But in this world is the world where we build that relationship because relations were built in the darkness when things are not clear. So the curse is if we don't build that relationship. If we don't build that relationship, we're living in a world of emptiness, of depression, of fleeting, physical, disconnected pleasures. That's the ultimate curse, is living in a world of physical pleasure when all you really want is spiritual pleasure, real connection, real relationships. Imagine living in a world with empty, fake relationships and never knowing the pleasure of a real intimate connection with someone you're committed to, with someone that you love. So that's the idea of mitzvahs, is they build a life of connection, a life of spirituality, a life of self-improvement, a life of realness, as opposed to a life of externality. So seeing, seeing is where we get clarity, but it's shallow. You only see the external. It's the listening that brings it into the depths of who you are. And that takes place in the moments of darkness. So when does, do we have an opportunity to receive this blessing? Today! See, I place before you the blessing and curse today! Because right now is the greatest blessing. You know what right now is? It's the present. Why is it called the present? Because it's a gift. The gift takes place right in this moment. If we can see the blessings that we already have in our life, then we live a life of blessing because the blessings are all around us. We just have to learn to focus on them, to focus on the positive. I had a client, therapy client the other day who said that his life is miserable. I said, tell me one good thing that happened this last week. He said, I can't think of anything. So I said, I want you to sit down right now and write down Everything you can think of in your life that you're thankful for. And in about a minute, he came up with 13 things that he was thankful for. I said, I said, you see, you told me nothing good happened last week, but actually you had at least 13 things. And I guarantee you can come up with another hundred if you work on it that you are thankful for. So we have a tendency to always look at what we don't have. The Torah is telling us, look at what you do have now, right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Right now, look at the good in your life. And that is the greatest blessing, is recognizing the blessings that you have in your life. So why does it say that you listen? Because that's the blessing. The blessing is that you listen. If you don't listen, we'll talk about that one later. Hopefully that one won't happen. But the blessing is that you listen. Today, because it takes place right now. It never mentions what's the blessing and what's the curse. Because the answer is the blessing and the curse is the very act of relationship is brought about through doing mitzvahs. Why does it say I, that I place before you? Because that is the blessing. It's the relationship with I, with Hashem in our life. That is the greatest blessing. Why is there no gray? It's either blessing or curse. Because the answer is everything in our life is either an opportunity for growth an opportunity for connection, an opportunity for mitzvah, or it's a missed opportunity. So there is no gray. Everything can become a mitzvah. We just have to utilize it properly, the right time, the right place. So we should all be blessed to see with clarity in the next upcoming month who we want to be, what we want to accomplish in our relationship with ourselves, 
in our relationship with others and our relationship with God. And if we can all take on one thing, one very concrete behavior to put into practice in helping to improve ourselves, improve our relationship with others and our relationship with God, then I guarantee you will have a year of incredible blessings because I guarantee that you will grow. I said to my, I speak, spoke to my rabbi last Shabbos. We spent a beautiful Shabbos with my rabbi in Brooklyn, Hasidic Rebbe. And he said to me as follows. He said, I can guarantee you a life of blessing if you challenge yourself to grow and improve yourself. He said, I guarantee it. He said, I can't guarantee anything else in life, but I guarantee if you challenge yourself to grow and become a bigger person, you will have an incredible life of incredible blessings. And I'm just passing on that guarantee to you that if you take on to become a bigger person and a better person, I promise you, you will have a better life. So wishing you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos.